The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I love this Sunday, and I'm going to tell you why, because I love preaching after Easter, because I get so excited about Easter and what Jesus did for us when he came up out of the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave. I just, I, I, can't, I can't hardly get off of that. I, I think I was the first ADD child. I think I really was. And before they even knew how to diagnose it, I think I was that child. But I get so pumped. And I woke up this morning way before 6 o'clock, which is my normal wake-up time. I woke up saying, hurry up, alarm, and go off. And finally, I just turned off the alarm and said, I'm going to get up without you today. Because I was so excited about coming to church today. It's just a great day. Hey, folks, Jesus is risen. It's a, it's, it's great, it's a great day. Amen? It's a great day. And we're not going to try to redo Easter. We're really not. But I, I really feel in my heart, I have something to preach today, and I'm going to preach it with everything that I have, the fervency that God has given me. Would you please stand? I'm going to introduce my tech, my title today. I'm going to talk about an empty horn. Everybody say an empty horn. Speaking of horns, not hook them, but speaking of horns, anybody have a trumpet? Anybody? I'm serious. I'm not just asking that. Anybody have a trumpet? You know, I could wash the, the mouthpiece and soap it up and after I get through using it, you know. I trust you, but you probably don't trust my spit, but I trust, you know, I, trust. I need something to blow. I need, I need, because <laughs> I, I told the staff I'm going to play the battle hymn of the Republic. Folks, I don't know how I got myself into that, but the staff came in one day when I was studying and in prayer, and I said, get out of here, and I said, yes, I'll do anything, just get out of here, and then I, they told me what it was, okay, so watch, watch and pray, <laughs> listen and pray. Everybody say an empty horn. First Samuel chapter 15 is a beautiful, beautiful passage here with Samuel and Saul. It's a little history. Samuel went no more to see Saul the king, until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's a sad statement that the Lord to make. He repented, one, verse, one version says. Chapter 16, now the Lord said to Samuel, How long? How long will you mourn for Saul? You're the prophet, he's the king, seeing I have rejected him for being and reigning over Israel. I've repented of that. Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself, everybody say myself, a king among his sons. My subject today is an empty horn. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And let's clap our hands for all of our guests today that's in the house. We're happy to have our guests. And you may be seated. You're incredible, incredible people, and I am honored to be the pastor of this church. Samuel, the prophet of God, had first met Saul as a young, unpretentious boy who was seeking the lost donkeys of his father, a man named Kish. Heaven had orchestrated the meeting, and Samuel saw from the beginning the potential for greatness that resonated in this young man. In fact, in the eyes of the people, Saul would become the old mantle-clad prophet's replacement. He'd take Samuel's place. 
1 Samuel 9 says, And Kish, or he had a choice and handsome son, whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. Wow. He won the first Mr. Israel contest. <laughs> From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul had all the makings, folks, for greatness. He was loaded with potential. His future was bright. He would become the measuring stick for all future kings from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, a humble kid. Samuel was so proud of Saul as a father would be to his son, and Samuel's own flesh and blood sons had shown little promise to him. And it seems to me that the aged Samuel, after a long period of time, Saul reigned for 40 years. He was living out the remainder of his life in the life and times of this king named Saul. Parents and grandparents can identify with that. We do that sometimes, you know. It's called living vicariously. When Saul failed, going against the word of the prophet, because the prophet told him, when you go to destroy the Amalekites, don't leave anything. Don't leave anything. Take the king out. Take everybody out. Take all the animals out. God doesn't need anything because that Amalekite represented the flesh. It was. It means flesh. And we're going to have to. We're going to have to purge that. We got to take take care of that. And so Samuel's heart was broken when he heard the lowing of the sheep and the cattle, and he understood that Agag, the king, was still alive. And so Samuel took care of business and took care of the king. And Samuel's life had become so entwined and interwoven with Saul's, he was emotionally distraught and he was miserable. It was almost more than he could bear to think that God had repented of ever making Saul the king. And in the text, Samuel and Saul had said their goodbyes like, see you later, son, and take care of my father. I don't know if either of them were aware that Samuel would never see Saul again until the day that Saul passed away. It was all over. It was all over. What had begun with such high hopes and dreams had now been eternally shipwrecked on the rocks of disobedience and, and pride. Samuel mourned and lamented for Saul like a widow over the death of her only son. And a part of Samuel died that day as he watched Saul go on with his life, unmoved and unstirred as though it was nothing to not no longer be looked at as the king of Israel. Listen to me real close. See, that's what happens every time we anoint the people's king. The people's king will succeed for a while. But in the long run, it will come to naught. They will fail. To the prophet Samuel, Saul had joined the walking dead. He was a dead man walking. So Samuel mourned, torn by the moment. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, How long, how long are you going to mourn, son, for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him, repented from ever reigning over Israel. But God wasn't finished with that verse. There's a B portion. Here's the B portion. He said, Fill your horn with oil and go. Hallelujah. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. My question today is simply this. 
How long are you going to mourn over people's kings in your life? How long are you going to mourn over things that you have anointed in your life? And it didn't come to fruition like you thought it was. How long are you going to stand around and let God be cheated out of your praise? Cheated out of your prayer life because you're angry at God because of a choice you made when you let a people's king steal your anointing. Forty days for Jacob they mourned, thirty days for Aaron, and thirty days for Moses. And God said, Saul has been rejected, Samuel. And all the wailing and all the crying and all the tears cannot undo what has been done. And then, as an inference, God said to him in his spirit, I have rejected your choice, Samuel. I have not rejected you. Oh, I want to preach today. My decision is final. And your sorrow for it will not rewrite his story or history. Here's what you must do. Here's what you have to do. You've got to dry your eyes and not remember the people's king. But you need to fill your horn with oil and go to a fresh anointing in your life. And on this post-Easter Sunday, we realize, hallelujah, that Jesus got up and he is alive and he is well and he is risen and he's here for us. And sometimes... You just have to say goodbye to flesh desires and bad choices and goofy stuff. And you've got to pick up a fresh anointing and anoint what God wants in your life and not what the people say is important in your life. See, the anointing of Saul was not a sin problem. I want you to understand that we're not talking about sin here today. It's not a sin problem. I'm not talking about sin. It was just not God's choice for Israel. See, the Lord had allowed it to happen to please the wishes of the people. They wanted a king. In fact, they said, we want to be like other nations. Let us have a king. And God said, I want to be your king. They said, we can't see you. We can't walk up to you and tap on your door. But we need somebody in flesh and blood that we can see. And so God acquiesces. Our Heavenly Father acquiesces. He complies. He submits without protest. He agrees. He consents. And many times, God allows you to anoint things. Are you with me? That are not good for your future. It's not sin. It's not sin. It's just something that will take you away from what God really has in your life for you. There's a lot of stuff that will steal the anointing in your life. And I want the anointing to be on your life. Not chasing people's kings, but chasing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I remember when WWJD was the rage. You know, we had these bracelets and I wore them. I wore four or five of them. And I got one now. I know you people are wondering why I wear this. It's so pretty and you'd like to have one. But I wear it. And the reason it's pretty is because it says on the bottom side, give grace a chance. Amen. That's the story of my life. Give grace a chance. I, 
I'm tired of people preaching law to people. I'm ready for somebody to say grace is in the house. Amen. And, 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 and we used to have those braces. What would Jesus do? You know, what, what would happen? We'd get ourselves with bad choices in all these situations, you know, and we'd just kind of get tied up and we'd be back against the wall and, you know, we didn't know what to do and what to say and how to get there and how oh, I'm going to get out of this and made a stupid decision. I'm a... But I've got a new signal. I've got, I've got new four letters. WWJT. What would Jesus think? <laughs> oh, I'm fixing to preach to you. If you could wear a WWJT bracelet instead of a WWJD bracelet, then you could think about the choices you make before you get into those choices and be backed up against something and start mourning over something that should never have been in your life. Would somebody help me preach right now? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, but so many people make choices and say, you know, I can get out of that. No, you can't get out of that. It's kind of like that little old boy, you know. Little old boy was in an Easter drama and he had one line, one line, one line. And the line was this. He is not here. He is risen. And he said, I got it. And the parents drilled him and they drilled him and he got it. He said, I got it, I got it. And so he gets to the school that night and he never had seen that spotlight hit him. He'd never seen all these people looking at him. It was just his classmates and kids and he's standing there. And all of a sudden the light hit him and it's his turn to speak and he's supposed to say, he is not here, he is risen. And he says, he is not here. And he stopped, he couldn't remember. He said, he's in prison. <laughs> There's some people that actually accuse God of not coming to their aid when they've made choices. I'm not even talking about sin, but choices. Beware of the company you keep. There's some people that are good people, but they're not the kind of people you need to have in your life. They'll take you down paths that you never dreamed you'd walk down in your life. And before you know it, you're going to be mourning and say, how did I get in this mess? WWJT, you need to think before you decide. And I'm here to declare that I've got a Jesus today that wants to help you. We make mistakes in judgment and decisions and bad choices. And then we say, what would he do? And we ought to be saying, what would he think? Given time, all things that are not of God orchestrated will come to naught. Samuel grieved because it looked right, felt right, it sounded right. Saul had a humble beginning, a small tribe, a handsome man, tall, head and shoulders above the rest. But God had allowed it. And it looked good, and it felt good to the people. And he supposed that the failure of Saul, because he had anointed him, his ministry and life were over as well. But God still had a wonderful experience and a job for him to do. I want to say it again. Samuel, I hadn't rejected you. I just rejected your choice. And you've got to understand the difference in that. Because God wants you to understand he continually and always will love you. But sometimes he has to say no to the choices you're making. So you'll have a morning time and you can go and fill your horn with oil. And go find something to anoint that will be everlasting in your life. Clap your hands and rejoice to that as I get ready to preach a little bit right now. See, the Old Testament was rich, folks, in symbolism and types and shadows and emblems. 
symbol was a visible sign of something invisible. And there's two words here. One is horn and one is oil that I want to just kind of declare a little bit right now. They're symbols of what one needs in their life. And they're kind of interchangeable. And they're full of meaning and understanding when you put them together. Horns, folks, were on the four corners of the brazen altar in the tabernacle in the wilderness. God's first church. And the altar of incense which was in the holy place. So there was eight horns around those two altars. And that's where the blood was applied with the finger of the priest on the day of atonement when he would sacrifice the lamb at the brazen altar. He'd take the blood and put it on the horn. The sacrifices were bound to the altar by their horns, a ram, a bullock, a goat, or any other kind of male. Horns symbolize, are you ready for this, power and strength and force and aggression and status and authority and dominion and toughness and endurance and potency. Hook them horns. Hook them. The, I'm sorry, it just hit my mind. I'm sorry. I got a little carnal there. Forgive me, Jesus. This defines the inward nature and character of an animal not visible to the eye. The horn was a focus of all the animal is and has. It's what he is and what he has. And all of his strength and all of his power and all of his might and all of his muscle and all of his bravery and all of his courage and stamina and spirit will and will are focused on his horn. Everything converges and is consecrated on the horns, not the Aggies. That just came out too. I'm sorry. Not the Sooners. I'm sorry. Some in this house, oh, let me preach to you. Some in this house are in a state today post-Easter holding on to the horns of life. But horns that are devoid of life. And they are empty, empty because you're chasing the people's kings. You're chasing something that's not a sin, but you want to be identified with the cool folk and with a certain political crowd and with a certain PTA crowd when you ought to be wanting to identify with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you can't anoint that. You can't anoint that is the thing. It will not last forever. But I'm preaching about an anointing that will last forever in your life. Fill your horn with oil. And get down to Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house. Because I made myself a king there in one of his sons. So now the oil, the oil. Olive oil was the medium into which was mixed all the principal spices and compounded the fragrance of the anointing oil. And the oil was smeared, the anointing, to the anointed one of something, affected a transfer, are you ready for this, of the holiness and the virtue of the God in whose name the rite was performed. So Jehovah God, Almighty God, the anointing was transferred. And Saul's faults and failures and disappointing life had drained Samuel of his anointing. Samuel had an empty horn around his neck. He had the emblem of strength and power. He had the symbol of status and authority. He had the shadow of toughness and dominion. But there was no bravery, no enthusiasm, no courage, no stamina, and no nobility within the horn because he had lost the anointing on a people's king. There is a, there's, a, there's a passage. I want, I want my person to put it up on the screen. It's, it's Exodus chapter 40. I just want you, I'm going to put it up there and, and, and you can find it. It's verses 9 through like verse 15 or 16. And what God is saying, you got to get this. 
God is saying, I want everything in my house anointed. Everything. Everybody say everything's anointed. I want you to anoint the altar. I want you to anoint the utensils. I want you to anoint every spoon, every fork. I want you to anoint the utensils. I want you to anoint the golden candlesticks. I want you to anoint the labor uh, of water. I want, you to anoint, I want you to anoint all the utensils. I want everything in my house anointed. And then when Aaron comes to the house, he's the high priest, I want you to anoint him. I want you to pour the oil on him. And, 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 the, and it's going to run down his beard and into his garment. It's going to, it's going to flow down to, the, to his, all of his garments because you're going to pour so much oil on him. See, when a king was anointed in the Old Testament, they poured six quarts on him. They just didn't go, hallelujah. They, they doused him. I can, I, I can just see that little old kid coming to Jehu's tent out there in the battle. He said, sir, can I have you in this room for a moment? And he gets in the room and said, sir, I don't know what this means, but the prophet sent me and I'm fixed to pour something on you. And he poured six quarts on Jehu's head and he was bubbling. I mean, he's bubbling. You, you, you know what? Let, let, let me say something. People are afraid of the anointing. Don't be afraid of the anointing. I promise you this. You ought to be afraid of alcohol. You ought to be afraid of drug addiction. But don't be afraid of the anointing. It's the only thing you can't get enough of. Amen. You can't get enough of this. The anointing of God needs to be on the church. It needs to be on the high priest. It needs to be on all the sons. It needs to be on everybody. The anointing of God needs to be everywhere in this house. In fact... One of the neatest stories, and I, I'm not far from finishing, one of the neatest stories in the Bible. You know, John 11, we preached last week about Lazarus' resurrection, but John 12 is a neat story. I got, I, got to say, I got to tell it to you. Let me tell you this story. Read it when you get home. John 12, it talks about a house party in Bethany. Now, there were 17 people there. There were 12 disciples. There was Jesus, that's 13. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead in chapter 11. Amen. That's pretty cool. And he's just sitting there with Jesus. I think that's neat. And then there was Simon the leper. Simon the leper, it was his house. And the Bible said Judas, the son of Simon. Can you imagine? Now get this. I've done a little research. Judas was the son of a man who was healed from leprosy. And was sitting with Jesus in his house. And Judas was the one that criticized the woman who brought a bottle of oil to anoint the feet and the head of Jesus Christ for his burial. How can people who have seen such miraculous in their life, criticize somebody that wants to fill their horn with oil and go anoint the king of kings, not the people's king. I think that after Easter, this church ought to be full of anointed worship and anointed praise. This ought to be the antidote of dead church is that we fill our horn with oil and we go anoint the king that's down at Jesse's house, who's a Bethlehemite. Because I know somebody that came out of Bethlehem, and he's king of kings, and he's lord of lords, and he needs our anointing on his life today from us. See, what we preach all the time is, Lord, anoint me, anoint me. Why don't we turn the page and start anointing him? Mary walks in. Mary walks in, and she's got this pound of spike in her 
and she saved it, and it's expensive. It's a lot of denarii. She is expensive, and she breaks it. The Bible said she broke it. She broke it as a symbol. I'm not going to ever use this again because it's the ultimate to use it on the feet and the head of Jesus. I won't use this again. This will never be used again. It's going to be broken. It's going to be all drained out. I'm not going to save anything back because I'm going to fill my horn with oil and I'm going to anoint the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible said, the Bible said, that she would be remembered and preached about throughout history because she chose to anoint the feet and the head of Jesus and dry it with her hair. Folks, I'm, 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 I'm feeling the Holy Ghost here right now. Now you listen. You listen to this pastor. So Samuel quits mourning and goes and fills his oil and gets his enthusiasm back and his virtue and his, his ex- excellence and his, all of his bravado and all of his courage and all of his stuff. And he gets a horn of oil and he's headed down to Jesse's house to anoint the new king. And Jesse's got seven boys there and Eliab's the oldest and he's a handsome boy, the Bible says. And all of a sudden Samuel's going to pour the oil on him God said, stop, stop. You got fooled on this before. This is not my king. It's the people's king. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he said, okay. So he passed by the other six. He said, line them up. He had to look at them twice. He said, Jesse, you have anybody else? He said, yeah, I got a ruddy kid. Got a lot of freckles out there. And been in the sun a long time. And when David walked in, Samuel said, we'll not sit down until he gets here. In other words, we'll never settle. I'll never settle again until I anoint the right king in my life. And David walks in the door. And Samuel anoints him. Because David was a man. After God's own heart. And here's the joy, folks. Here's the joy. David is in the lineage in Matthew chapter 1 of Mary. He's in the lineage. And so Mary's in the lineage of David. David's in the lineage, in the messianic lineage of Jesus Christ. But if you look in, in, if you look in Luke chapter 3, you'll see he's also in the lineage of Joseph by a son named Nathan. Here's what I want to tell you. God did not only let David take care of the woman's side who gave birth. He let him take care of the daddy's side who was going to be the father on this earth because the heavenly father was going to impregnate Mary of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And he wanted us to know that when you anoint David, when you anointed David, you anointed everything to cover the church and the God of heaven, the Savior, and the church. So everything in this house is anointed because David was anointed one day. And I stand here right now telling you that I'm not going to be discouraged now. I'm going to fill my horn with oil. And I'm going to go find me the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to anoint him. He is king of my life. He will last forever and ever in my heart and life. Pardon me for getting Pentecostal. I'm sorry. Let me back up to the Methodist tone now. Dear Lord, I'm not talking about sin. Randy, help me. I'm not talking about sin. 
I'm not talking about transgression. I'm talking about just anointing something that will take you away from the presence of what God has in your life. I'm so tickled that you folks came to church today. In fact, I'm going to call this. You ready? Everybody say, never, never. doubt, doubt. Again. again, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Come on, say, never doubt again, Sunday. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He shall heal the sick and if they forget. And if they've committed any sin, it shall be forgiven. Wow. I love the way the Lord sneaks up on people and say, Come get healed and I'll save you. Yeah. It's amazing because there's an anointing. And the anointing still destroys the yoke. Yeah. Still does. I got to read something to you, closing. Thanks for being such a wonderful audience and a great people because I'm, the, I'm like Lou Gehrig. I'm the luckiest man in the world to get to preach to you folks. You can trust him. He's the one who made us. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring in the visibility of the shoreline of his shoreless supply, the coastline of his shoreless supply. You can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's the son of God. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. You can trust him. He does not have to call for help. You can't confuse him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He's august, unique, unparalleled. Precedent is supreme, preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem of higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you can call him. I'm trying to tell you, you can trust him. He can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. You can trust him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway to righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. You can trust him. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of heroes. He's the leader of legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. You can trust him. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable because he's incomprehensible. He's irresistible because he's invincible. You can't get him off your hands and you can't get him off your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. <laughs> Pilate couldn't stand him when he found out he couldn't stop him and Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. And the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And thank God the grave couldn't hold him. There's nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. He has no predecessor. He'll have no successors. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. You can trust him. So I want to I tell you today. I want to tell you with everything that's in me. Some of you, he 
need to quit wasting your anointing on people's kings. Start filling your oil with your, 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 your horn with oil and go anoint. Go anoint the king of kings in your life. I'm telling you, folks, you could be a Mary. You could be a Joseph. You could be somebody that esteems him higher than anything else in this world. I'm preaching about the Savior. Preaching about the Savior. Everybody say, never doubt again Sunday. That's what it's about. Would you stand and clap your hands for the word of the Lord today and receive it in your heart. Amen. Clap real big. Clap real big. Clap real big. Hallelujah. Talking about the son of Jesse today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Join hands with somebody. Dear Father, I love you. And I thank you for a hundred plus salvations last Sunday. And I just wanted to come today, Lord, and tell these people they need to anoint the one that has anointed us. They need to make him Lord of their life today. They need to make him king of their life today. And if they haven't, let it happen in their souls right now as I pray this prayer. Lord, bless the members of this congregation. Bless them, God. Let the glory of the Lord shine upon them. Let your face shine upon them. Let your countenance turn toward them. Let them know your glory and your principles and your power in their life all week long. Let them walk out of here saying, I have been in the presence of the Lord. Is with me today, and I will honor him, and I will serve him, and I will fill my horn with oil and anoint him with my praise and my worship and my singing and the joy of my life and the bravado and the courage and the intestinal fortitude. I will bless his name from the rising of the sun to the going down the same forage. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Three times. Amen. Clap your hands.